0: All right, well, hey, let's get our Bibles ready. Uh, We're diving into week three of our series on the Ten Commandments called Living Free. And uh, before we dive in, let me just encourage you quickly. If you have not been here the last two weeks, please get caught up. Please, please, please get caught up. Uh, The next eight commandments that we're talking about, which start today, hang on the first two commandments So that means if you don't go back and watch the messages you've missed, you're going to get the next eight commandments wrong. And I don't want that to be the case in your life. And so uh, out of love for you, do whatever you have to do to get caught up. Uh, You can find all of our messages on our app, Uh, download it for free from your app store. You can find them online uh, on our website or on our Facebook page. All right. Well, great. If you have your Bibles in hand or a device in hand with a Bible app, go to Exodus chapter 20 with me. Exodus chapter 20. A little over a year ago, my wife gave birth to our youngest daughter. And it was an awesome day, but the journey to get to that day, not so awesome. Uh, At eight weeks into the pregnancy, I rushed my wife to the emergency room. She was having complications, and we were worried that she was losing the baby. And it was especially scary because just a few months before we found out we were pregnant, uh, we lost a baby to miscarriage. So in our minds, we're thinking, here we go again. Here we go again. We're about to lose baby number two, but we got to the ER. They did the ultrasound and told us that everything with the baby looked great, but my wife had what's called a subchorionic hemorrhage. Uh, It's an area of bleeding between the placenta and the uterine wall. She had the same thing with the baby we lost. And the doctors told us before we left that that it put her at higher risk of miscarriage once again. So, I mean, as you might imagine, we left, encouraged that the baby was well, but discouraged by the news we got. And so we just started praying, God, would you keep your hand on this baby's life? God, would you heal this issue within Amber's body? And and that just became our prayer. And so 12 weeks went by, and everything was awesome until we got to our 20-week appointment. We went in. They did the ultrasound told us we were having another little girl, which is awesome and expensive, but that 's another message for another time and so uh, great news, but, but we also got bad news. They told us that there was something off with her bowel. it was appearing brighter than it should have on the ultrasound and so the doctor sat us down and said here 's what it could mean. It could mean cystic fibrosis, it could mean down syndrome, it could mean trisomies thirteen or eighteen. Uh, which would then mean that she wouldn't live uh, but, but for a short time after birth. And so, again, I mean, we left. It was just a waiting game. I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see what happens. So, so we left, again, very discouraged, fearful, doing our best to trust that God gave us this baby for a reason and that even if something was seriously wrong, she was ours. She was ours. So, again, our prayer was, God, keep your hand on our life. Keep your hand on my wife's life. Well, the next 20 weeks went by and they were pretty uneventful until the early morning of March 19th, 2015. I was woken up out of a dead sleep. I said the whole time, I know this this labor, it's going to happen in the middle of the night. And I was right. About 2 a.m. in the morning, my wife's pushing me. James, something is happening. Well, come to find out her water broke in the bed. And so I load her in the car. We rush off to the hospital And uh, and we get there, and for the next eight hours, everything was awesome. I mean, her body was doing what it was created to do. It was progressing. And then all of a sudden, everything stopped. She stopped progressing, and she started digressing. Uh, My wife got severe pain in one of her shoulders. Every time she had a contraction, the baby's heart rate would drop. And so the doctor came in and said, "Uh, it's not safe to do this anymore. We need to do an emergency C-section. And so I remember them wheeling her out of the room in a hurry, Uh, I'm sitting outside of the operating room waiting on them to get her ready. And I'll never forget, I'm on a bench by myself and I'm looking out this window and I'm praying the same prayer I had prayed for nine months. God, would you keep your hand on this baby's life? God, would you keep your hand on my wife's life? And God answered those prayers. I walked into the room and just a few minutes later, uh, they delivered a completely healthy nine-pound, five-ounce Little, but yes, big baby girl. Um, we make big babies. I don't know what the deal is. And I remember I'm sitting there with this little girl in my arms next to my wife. We're rejoicing over the fact that God has entrusted this new little life to us. And the doctors are working on my wife, but it's taken forever. Like way longer than it should have. And so my wife asks her doctor, hey, is everything okay? And, and she replies and says, sweetheart, your uterus completely ruptured like not a small tear rupture but like a completely burst open kind of rupture come to find out our daughter was outside of my wife's uterus and inside of her abdominal cavity now we knew that was a big deal but uh, we didn't really know how big a deal it was until we got to our room every nurse and every doctor that came in to check on us kept using this word miracle it's a miracle your baby's okay it's a miracle your wife is okay Uh, Come to find out, many mothers and many babies die from uterine ruptures. And I remember when the weight of that hit me. Like, as I realized I could have left the hospital that day wifeless and childless. Like, I broke down. My wife is asleep. I'm holding my daughter. She's asleep. And here I am, just a mess, praying yet again. But this time I'm not asking God for anything. Instead, I'm thanking God for answering the prayers I had prayed for nine months, time and time and time again. Now, throughout this whole crazy process, our baby had no name. And that's completely unlike me or Amber. I mean, we're planners. We're not the type of people who would say, let's just wait till she gets here, and and we'll see what she looks like, and then we'll pick a name. We knew what she would look like, a baby, and that wouldn't help us at all, right? So... We wanted a name, but every time we talked about a name, nothing felt right. And as I look back on it now, I truly believe that the sovereignty of God was at play. I mean, it was night two uh, after her birth, and we're sitting in the hospital room, and Amber brings up names again. And she says, what if we named her Selah? Well, that name, it was on our list, but it was toward the bottom of the list. Uh, But as soon as she said it, I knew that was it. Selah is a Hebrew word, it's used 74 times in the Old Testament, and it means to pause and reflect, or to pause and give praise. This little girl gave us reason to pause and reflect on all that God had done for us. This little girl gave us reason to pause and praise God for the answered prayers along the way. And so as soon as she said it, I went, yeah, that's her name. We we don't need to talk about this anymore. Now in choosing that name for her, Amber and I did two things. Number one, uh, we exercised authority over her as her parents. Moms and dads in the room, you realize that the first act of authority you performed over your child was picking a name? They didn't get to choose their name. You chose their name, right? Act of authority. Second thing we did is we chose a name to declare our daughter's identity. You see, her name means something. Her name can't ever be detached from who she is, from what God has done for her, from her story And today, as we talk about God's name, I need you to know those same things are true about his name. I grew up in church, and I don't know if I've ever heard a message on the topic I'm preaching on today, the name of God. And that tells me, most of us in the room, we've probably never heard a message on the name of God. But I need you to know two things true about his name. Number one, nobody gave God a name. God gave us his name. That's an act of authority. God reminds us that there is no one in authority over him, but instead he is in authority over all of creation, and that includes you and me. And then secondly, please hear me, the name of God, the name of God declares his identity. His name means something, and it can never be detached from his character, his nature, his authority, or his glory, which is why he gives us commandment number three. If you have your Bibles open to Exodus 20, Uh, We're just going to be working through one verse today, verse 7. If you remember, if you've been here the past couple weeks, uh, God, he has just freed his people, the nation of Israel, from over 400 years in slavery. And so these people, they're free people. God wants to ensure that they live within the freedom he's provided, so he's given them some boundaries to live within. And here's what he says, commandment 3, about his name. Look, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, let's leave that on the screen for just a moment. I want you to look back up here. I don't know if you caught this, but God is speaking in third person. He doesn't say, don't take my name in vain. He says, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now, he he does this on purpose, He's reminding us yet again of the significance of his name. We learned in week one of this series that the name God gave us in the Old Testament was the Hebrew name Yahweh. It means uncreated creator. It's a name that speaks of our God as the almighty, self-existent, sovereign ruler of the universe. And God, his point in this command is this. Hey, you can't just use my name however you want to use my name. Right? As we've learned in the past couple weeks, true freedom is not doing what you want to do. True freedom is living how you were meant to live. And so God is saying, you're not free just to do what you want with my name. My name means something, and it's meant to be used in alignment with, again, my, my authority, my character, my power, and my glory. And when you and I choose to do otherwise, we're using his name in vain. That word vain means empty or worthless. And the idea is that we would use the name of God in a way that separates his name from who he is. But we use the name of God lightly and flippantly. Uh, Therefore, we we treat him lightly and flippantly. We use the name of God carelessly and recklessly. And therefore, we act carelessly and recklessly about God. Here's what he says. The person who does this will not be held guiltless. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, I I don't know. He doesn't tell us. But we can look to some examples in scripture to kind of get a picture of what the consequences might be. In Leviticus 24, a young man dies after misusing the name of God. In the New Testament, in Acts 19, and you should really read this story on your own sometime, it's fascinating. But seven brothers, they're known as the sons of Sceva, they misuse the name of God for their own purposes, and they end up in a fight with a demon possessed man, and, and they lose, all right? They leave the fight, beat up, and naked. Just a a piece of of friendly wisdom. You leave a fight with no pants on, you lost, all right? Just (laughs) always remember that. Here's what I need you to know. Using the name of God incorrectly, huge deal, huge deal. This is why it appears third in the list of commandments. Even before things like murder, adultery, stealing, misusing the name of God, it's highly highly important. This topic is one that we cannot miss. Think about it in these terms. If you and I decided to go into business together and we said, you know, uh, let's start a chicken restaurant. Why don't we call it Chick-fil-A? And we'll teach all of our employees to say, my pleasure, right? Would that be okay? (laughs) Would that be okay? Of course not. And why? Because we have no right to that name. We have no right to that branding. And if we used it, we'd be in serious trouble. Hear me. God owns his name. He determines how his name should be used. And he says, again, you're not free to do what you want with my name. You, you need to use it correctly. And if you use it incorrectly, there's a price to pay. So, how do we know if we're doing this? How do we know if we're misusing the name of God? Well, I want to answer that question for you. All right. I'm going to give you four ways that we take God's name in vain. So, if you're taking notes, just write these words down and I'll walk us through them. All right. Number one, promises. In Leviticus 19.12, God says, do not swear falsely by my name. I'll give you a couple of practical examples of how we do this, all right? Uh, First, we can swear falsely by the name of God by making a promise, a false promise, and attaching his name to it to convince people we're telling the truth. If you want a picture of what this looks like, just follow the presidential debates, all right? Um, I'm not like a guy who preaches on politics much, But but I'm telling you, politicians do it all the time, right? They get on platforms like this. They use very skillful rhetoric to tell us how they're going to be our saviors. They're going to change the direction of our country. And then they'll sprinkle some God talk in along the way to get us to buy in. God bless America. God bless America, right? And unfortunately, many of us buy in. And we never stop to realize that these men and women are breaking commandment number three by misusing the name of God. Another way we do this is by making false promises in God's name that we never intended to keep. And the best way I know how to illustrate this is by marriage. Uh, I get to do a lot of weddings. And if you've ever been to a wedding, you know that there's always a part of the ceremony where the husband and wife, they stand before a crowd of people and they say vows to one another. And these vows aren't only their commitment to one another. These vows are also their commitment to God. Now, in spite of saying... Hey, uh, before God and all these witnesses, I'm in. Better or worse, I'm in. Sickness and health, riches or poverty, until death do us part, I'm in. What many husbands and wives really mean is, as long as it's easy, I'm in. As long as I get what I want out of this relationship, I'm in. Hey, as long as you do for me what I want you to do, I'm in. And when that stops or it changes, I'm out. Look, that's misuse of the name of God. They have attached the name of God to a promise they never intended to keep. They've sworn falsely by his name. That's one. Second, prophecies. Prophecies. Have you ever had someone lie about you by claiming you said something you never said? Ah, Some of us have. I just heard it. Uh, Yep, somebody just lied about somebody today. Right? (laughs) We've probably all experienced it. So-and-so said you said, you know, whatever it is. I never said it. It's frustrating, isn't it? Do you know that this happens to God all the time? In Jeremiah 14, 14, we find some prophets in the Old Testament who are standing before people saying, I got a word from the Lord. God told me something, and I need to tell you what he said, and so you need to listen to me. And God is in the background saying, don't listen to them. I didn't speak. I didn't send them. I didn't tell them to say anything now, why in the world would they do this? Like, why would they say that God told them to say something he never said? Well, it's simple. They had an agenda. And they believe that if they attach God's name to their agenda, they would be successful in both promoting it and in advancing it. And today, when anyone speaks false prophecy, it's always done for the same reasons. They have an agenda. Maybe it's to look spiritual or important. Maybe it's to manipulate people into doing something they want done. Maybe it's to justify doing something that they really, really want to do. And I'll give you some examples, all right? I've had conversations with people on more than one occasion. They sit down with me, and we're talking about an issue in life, and they say, well, James, you know, we we prayed about it, and God told us it was okay. Uh, My boyfriend and I, we prayed about living together and sleeping together, and God said it was okay. My response is, really? Really? You sure you were praying to the right God? Like, the God I know, he wrote a book, and in this book he wrote, he says, you shouldn't do that. Uh, James, you know, I prayed about it, and and, uh, God told me I didn't need to travel overseas to share the gospel with people who desperately need it. Really? Because here, God says, all of us who know Jesus should go into all the world proclaiming the gospel to people who desperately need to hear it. That's that's not something you should even be praying about. You should just do it because God already said it. James, I prayed about it, and and, uh, God told me I didn't really need to give my money. Really? Because when I read the Bible, God says your money is not even really your money. It's his money. And the only reason he gave you any money at all is so you could give part of his money back to him. All for the sake of advancing his kingdom and the gospel in the world. Please hear me. Anytime you pray about anything, if you think God is speaking to you, it better line up with what he already said or he's not the one speaking. Another example. uh, Have you ever had someone come to you and say, God told me to tell you." you? Ever had this happen? Look, some of us were laughing because we have had it happen. Uh, I still believe in the gift of prophecy. Like I believe God still uses people today to speak into the lives of other people. So I don't want to treat it lightly like it doesn't happen. Uh, When God speaks, we should always take it seriously. But I also know there are a lot of crazy people out there that you shouldn't listen to because like these prophets in Jeremiah, they're saying things that you God never said. One of our friends, uh, one of my wife's friends several years ago, she had a lady come to her once and say, God told me to tell you that you are going to get pregnant. Well, this was great news for her because she had gone years uh, being unable to get pregnant, so she's all excited. Well, Well, guess what happened? She didn't get pregnant. And guess who she got mad at? Not the woman who relayed the message. She got mad at God. And she sat down with my wife one day and She said to my wife, why in the world would God tell her to tell me I would get pregnant if I wasn't going to get pregnant? And my wife is scratching her head going, do you think she might have lied to you? Like, has the thought ever crossed your mind that maybe God never told her to say that? Another friend, another friend of ours, she was on a mission trip in Jamaica several years ago, and she had a Jamaican woman come to her and say, God told me to tell you that you're going to be a famous singer back in America. And some of you might have heard of our friend. Her name's Taylor Swift. Now, I'm kidding. You've never heard of our friend because it never happened, right? Our friend couldn't sing then and she can't sing now. She's a stay-at-home mom. Never happened. That lady was lying to her. God never told her to speak. All right, look, before we keep going, let me give you a word of caution. Here you go. Look, if anyone ever says to you, God told me to tell you, all you do is test it. I tell you, do you just test it? 1 Thessalonians five twenty says, "Don't despise prophecy." So again, we don't treat prophecy with contempt. We don't act like God doesn't do it. We don't despise it, but we test it. If somebody says God told me to tell you, we take it back to the Word. We take it to prayer. We take it to wise counsel. We hold on to what's good and we let go of the rest. And ultimately, we know if God spoke because of what He said comes to pass. Well, it was Him. And uh, if what that person said doesn't come to pass, well, that wasn't God speaking. That person was lying. Number three, pretenses. A pretense is a sham, a fake, a facade. It's an attempt to make something appear true when it's not true. And uh, I'm going to give you a picture of this from the Bible in just a moment. But in the context of this message, it means that we would misuse the name of God by pretending to love him when that's clearly not the case. In Matthew 7, again, we find a picture of this. Uh, I'm not going to go too deep into this passage today because we're going to talk about it in depth in our upcoming summer series. But in my opinion, it is one of the most terrifying passages in all the Bible. Jesus says that not everyone who calls him Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says on the day of judgment, which is the most important day of any day He says, on that day, people will stand before him and say, Lord, uh, we did all these amazing things in your name, cast out demons in your name, prophesied in your name, did miracles in your name, and then Jesus looks at them and says, depart from me, I I never knew you. Here's the problem. While these people did all these amazing things in Jesus' name, none of them were for his name. They were for their names. Their glory, their purposes, their agendas. And the question we need to ask in light of that is this. Those things that we do in Jesus' name, are they for his name? Like, do you love Jesus, follow Jesus, and obey Jesus because you truly desire to make much of Jesus? Or are you leveraging Jesus to make much of you? And I'll illustrate it to make it uh, easy to answer. All right, let's say you're a Christian business owner in the room and so you've got the little Christian fish printed on your business cards. Uh, you've got a verse stuck on the side of your work truck. You know you play Christian music in your office or at your job site. Here's the question: Do you do that because you truly love Jesus, or are you just trying to drum up business with other Christians? You with me? Are your business practices uh, are they done according to the Word of God? Or are they shady and manipulative because you're trying to do all you can do, even cheat people out of money, to take home more money? The question I'm asking is, are you pretending to be something you're not for the sake of personal gain? Big question. This happens in my world all the time. I will tell you that there are men out there who call themselves pastors, but they don't love God and people. They love themselves, and they use God and people for personal gain. It's insane to me that these Guys, it scares me to death. No one will have to answer to God for this one day, but they use the name of Jesus to promote their names, to sell their books, to build their kingdoms. Look, this is why it's important for you to be really careful when it comes to who you watch, who you read, who you li- excuse me, who you listen to. Not everyone that calls himself a pastor is for you. Some of them are for themselves, and their misuse of god 's name proves it. Finally, number four, profanities profanities. Uh, Back to Leviticus 19.12, God finishes that verse by saying, don't swear falsely by my name, consequently profaning my name. Now look, let's be honest. When we think about profaning the name of God, what comes to mind first for many of us is GD, right? And that's obviously one way to profane the name of God, but it goes beyond that. To profane something means that you treat it with irreverence, you disrespect it, you trivialize it, you treat it lightlessly and carelessly. And to my point earlier, because God's name cannot be detached from his identity, anytime you profane his name, you make God into something less than he is. You make our big God small. You make our glorious God inglorious. You make our weighty God light and insignificant. And I want to help you understand how we do it, all right? So let me make it real practical. I'm going to say some phrases, and I want you to finish out my phrases, all right? You're going to know these. uh, The 830 people, they knew them at least. Maybe they're just bigger sinners than you. I don't know, but I'm just kidding. We're all in the same boat here. Here we go. You ready? Here's the first. You finish it. I swear to God. Yeah, you've heard it, haven't you? Some of us, we probably used it. I swear to God I didn't do it. I I swear to God I did it. Why do we say this? We do it because we're trying to convince someone that we're telling the truth, right? In the New Testament, uh, Jesus' brother James, he says, you want to convince people that what you're saying is true? Quit throwing around the name of God carelessly and just be a person of integrity and character. Be a person of such integrity and character that when you say yes, it's yes, and when you say no, it's no. It's no, quit swearing falsely by the name of God. Uh, here's another one. Ready? Here we go. Uh, praise the Lord. Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, of course, we're supposed to praise the Lord, right? But, but not in a trivial manner. Praise the Lord, it's the weekend. Praise the Lord, it's pizza night. <laughs> praise the Lord, Braves finally won a game, right? <laughs> if you're choosing to use the name of the Lord in that manner, hear me, hear me. It's losing its weightiness in your life. I'll give you another one. Uh, O-M-G. Yeah, we know it. I mean, how often times have you seen this on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram? How often have you seen it come through in a text message? I won't ask how often you sent it, but, but we've seen it. And some of us have used it. And we all know, look, we all know that nobody means, oh my gosh, oh my goodness. We all mean, oh my, oh my God. Look, because I love you, I need you to know, not the best use of God's name. Let's do one more. How about this one? Uh, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Look, if you know someone in need, uh, they're sick, they're in an accident, they need prayer, of course that's an appropriate response. Lord, have mercy. But when you choose to use it in a different way, right? Lord, have mercy. The line around Starbucks, it's a mile long. Lord, have mercy. The Braves are probably going to lose again this week, right? Lord, have mercy. I've texted her eight times, and she still won't agree to the date. Unbelievable. Lord, have mercy. Single guys in the room, here's some friendly advice. Ready? Call her. Just call her and stop trivializing the name of God, and maybe he'll help you get a date. I don't know. Maybe he won't, but I'm just saying it's worth a try. It's worth a try. Now, I would imagine, I would imagine, and let me just say this before I go here. Look, if you want other examples of how we profane the name of Lord, um, go home, open up your drawer, and just look at some of your lame Christian T-shirts. Or, or after the gathering, walk out and uh, look at the back of your car at some of your bumper stickers that treat the name of God lightly. I had a woman after last gathering come and say, James, now I've got to go look at all my bumper stickers. I have a ton of them. have got to go home and probably peel some off, right? Profaning the name of God. Losing its weightiness in our life, treating it in a careless way. Now, back to what I was about to say, I would imagine at this point in the message, some of us are feeling really awake, really awake, because we know we're guilty. We're guilty. And what I don't want you to do today is leave scared to use the name of God at the risk of misusing it, because that's not the point of commandment three. God's not saying to us, hey, don't use my name. Don't use my name because you might mess it up. What he's saying to us is, hey, you can use my name, but when you use it, use it in the right way. So how in the world do we do that? Great news, Jesus gives us the answers. Uh, In John chapter 8, Jesus, he's having a conversation with a group of Jewish people. And they question Jesus about his identity. And at one point in the conversation, Jesus, he talks about Abraham, the father of the Jewish nation, and he says something really confusing. He says, Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. Now, these people are trying to figure out what in the world he meant. I mean, Jesus is in his 30s. Abraham lived thousands of years before this moment. And so finally, they speak up and say, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old yet. Like, what are you talking about? Abraham rejoiced that he'd see you You're claiming that he saw you and you saw him? What do you mean? And then Jesus drops this bombshell. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. That name, I am, is the same name God gave to Moses in Exodus 3 when he spoke to him from the burning bush. It's the name Yahweh. Jesus is saying to these people in John 8, I'm him, I'm God, I'm Yahweh, I am the eternal, self-existent, sovereign ruler of the universe. It always dumbfounds me when people say, "Uh, Jesus never claimed to be God, you Christians, you make it up. You put words in his mouth, apparently those people have never read John 8, because in John 8, Jesus clearly claims to be God. It's why the people pick up stones to kill him. It's why a short time later, they had him arrested and crucified. But, But praise God, three days later, Jesus came bursting forth from the grave, proving he was who? God. He's God. It's who he is. So hear me, hear me. To honor the name of God, to treat his name rightly, reverently, respectfully, to treat it as the powerful, authoritative name that it is, here's what you do. You spend your life honoring the name that is above every name. And what name is that? Our Lord Jesus. Our Lord Jesus. If you still have your Bibles open to uh, Exodus, flip over to the New Testament with me, if you will, um, to the book of Philippians. I want to show you what the Apostle Paul says about the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. Look at this. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and therefore God has highly exalted him. Bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's a reference to hell, by the way. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In these verses, Paul is pointing us back to the incarnation and the resurrection of Jesus. He's reminding us that 2,000 years ago, Jesus, who is God, left his throne in heaven. He gave up his rights. He left behind riches and became poor. He left behind worship that that he and he alone is deserving of. And he humbled himself. He wrapped himself in skin and became one of us. And he came to live among us. He came to live the life that, that you and I have been unable to live so that he could die the death we deserved in our place for our sins. And Paul says because of that, therefore, God has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee should bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look, I need you to know today that every person in this room will one day bow their knee to Jesus. Every person in this room will one day confess with their mouths the reality of who he is. And the decision we need to make is this. Will we bow and confess now And receive salvation, or will we bow and confess later and receive damnation? Look, I'm not trying to scare you when I say this, I'm saying this because I love you. You wait to bow and confess in eternity, like at the point that you're forced to bow and confess in the presence of Jesus, it's too late. It's too late. You become one of those people under the earth, separated from the presence of God, yet still praising Him, still bowing to Him, still confessing Jesus as God's Savior, King, and Lord. That's why if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you have to do it now. Now you need to trust in him as the Savior and God he is. You need to put your faith in him as the only one who can forgive your sins and offer you salvation and freedom. Look, for those of us who've done it, like if you've bowed and confessed that Jesus is who he said he is, the Lord and God of the universe, look, you now bear his name. That means that everything you say and everything you do is associated with his name. That's why Paul says that you and I should have the minds of Jesus. You want to honor the name of Jesus? It means that you live like Jesus, you act like Jesus, you speak like Jesus, you love like Jesus. Honoring the name of Jesus is about submission, service, sacrifice, humility. It's about obeying God even when it's hard, and it's about loving people more than you love yourself. So here's the question. Are you doing those things? Are you doing those things? Does your life and does your speech make much of the name of Jesus Christ? If not, hear me, you're dishonoring the name. The name that is above every name. Your mouth and your life say about Jesus that he is empty, that he is worthless, and that he is insignificant. Now here's what's crazy to me. Jesus knew you'd be guilty. That's why he came off his throne and went to a cross. It's insane to me to know that the God of the universe took our punishment for dishonoring his name. And so if you're a guilty one in the room today, here's what you do. You confess your sin of misusing the name of God and you trust God to keep his promise that through Jesus he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And after confessing your sin, you bow your knee and you bow your heart to the Lord and you ask him to help you to use his name correctly. That through your life, his name might be made much of. I'll tell you, um, when I wrote this message this past week, man, God was working on me. Every message I write, God has to preach it to me before I preach it to you. This was a hard one for me. God exposed me this week. He pressed into me and he he showed me areas of my life and and moments in my life where I used his name flippantly and carelessly. And so I'm just going to tell you, man, I've been praying all week that God would rip it out of me. I have felt so in need this week of God to do something in my life. And in just a moment, I'm going to take a knee right here. I'm going to do it all day because I I don't feel like I can ask God to change uh, this part of my life where I fall short enough. And so here's what I want to say to you. If you're guilty, if you know you're in the same boat as me and you're guilty, man, come and take a knee with me. Our prayer team's going to be here. If you want somebody to pray with you or for you, they'll be available. But we're all going to take a knee to Jesus. So why don't we start now? Why don't we start here? Posture says a lot about who we believe God to be. Humility honors God. And God honors humility. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to respond, however God's leading us, all right? Let me do that. God, we need you. We're desperate for you. God, some of us feel the weightiness today of, of our guilt, of our sin. God, help us to know that's a good thing. It's a good thing if it drives us to you. It's a good thing if it causes us to confess our sin and and to receive restoration and forgiveness. God, we wanna get this right. We don't wanna dishonor or misuse your name. We wanna honor your name. We want the world to know who Jesus is through our lives. And, And God, we're telling you, we need your help. We need you to go to work on us today. And so God, I'm just praying, would you give people humility, give them courage to bow a knee to spend some time in prayer. God, help people to have the faith they need to confess Jesus as Lord. God, in the next few moments, would you just move in power, do things in this place that only you can do. And God, we're trusting you for that. Lord, we pray all this in the name that is above every name. Jesus' name, amen.